Welcome to a Pulp Event Podcast, brought to you by the PulpNet, your link to the online world of the Pulp magazines, for over 20 years, online at thepulp.net. In this Pulp Event Podcast, David Saunders, pulp art historian and son of pulp artist Norman Saunders, talks with Pulp Fest guest of honor, Gloria Stahl-Karn, about her career as a pulp artist. The talk was recorded on July 29th, 2017, at Pulp Fest 2017, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Hello, can you hear me? Good. And can you hear Gloria's thing? Let's see. Uh, <clears throat> introduce yourself. <laughs> okay, I'm Gloria Korn, Gloria Stoll Korn. All right, so like thanks everyone for being here. This is, you're going to be um, uh, sharing some time with Gloria Stoll Karn. And uh, she's a uh, remarkable artist with a distinguished career. And um, just by a funny, funny coincidence, when she was 17 years old, uh, she happened to, uh, just a happenstance, she ran into Ralph DeSoto, and uh, it, it changed her life. And for a brief seven years, um, if you don't mind my saying, she'll be 94 in November. <laughs> <I'm really cool. laughs> Normally, of course, you would never say that, but it's just so astonishing in terms of our uh, interest in this nostalgia. Of those years, um, only seven of them, she worked in the pulps. And so for that really very small period in her life, which is almost the equivalent to a uh, college and uh, graduate level training someplace, she worked in the pulps and learned to do art. But then she went on and uh, became an abstract artist, which is in fact what Ralph DeSoto did also after he was done with the pulps. And, uh, so she's had a, a distinguished career. Her work has been exhibited basically all over the world. And she's in museum collections and stuff. So she brings a completely different perspective to the art that we all love and, uh, and can see how it fits within the greater fabric of just American art in general. And um, I wanted to, to let you know that the Norman Rockwell Museum is organized an exhibition of her work that will travel nationwide. And um, yesterday, the uh, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette uh, did a beautiful article about her and the show and stuff. And um, I hope it's uh, having a good impact. So <laughs> let's look at the first thing. I just want to briefly let you know that uh, she came from an artistic background. And uh, this is her father's um, work. Um, where's that little thing? This is Stoll and Thayer uh, is the name of the company. And they actually, this is an advertisement from 1924. And um, it's for, uh, you know, they can do architectural drawings or advertising or engravings and stuff. And it's Raymond Thayer and her father, Charles Stoll. And uh, so that was her childhood growing up. And uh, so she was one year old when this ad was uh, circulated. <laughs> and you might all know Raymond Thayer, who worked for Five Novels Monthly and uh, Blue Book and stuff like that also. So that's part of uh, her background. And her father um, was a distinguished uh, um, military figure also, along with being an artist. And uh, here she is as a young girl uh, painting uh, his portrait. 
And uh, through their support and through her creative mother and stuff, uh, Mayor LaGuardia had started uh, the music and art. And um, she was in the, the second class that ever uh, attended this uh, sort of special school for New York City kids who were, um, uh, wanted training in um, music and art. And um, the many distinguished alumni were, were in her class and, and grew up with that. And, uh, and then, unfortunately, in her junior year, a tra tragedy struck and her father died of a heart attack. Um, and so this is just a, a brief, interesting story about her life. Her mom then um, took over and uh, supported, there was only one child, and went to think, well, I have to support the family and uh, get some uh, income. And so she thought, well, the place I'd like to work at would be Radio City Music Hall. And so she went to the RCA building and um, got a job and began to support her. And uh, uh, so she was, uh, had her, she was able to support Gloria. Gloria graduated high school and then again had to support the family because it was still the depression. It was 1938. And um, so she began to work at an insurance um, agency just as a file clerk. And um, they had to move to a smaller apartment and things like that. And it was tightening belt time. And one time out of, um, um, I guess, uh, youthful disappointment or something, uh, she threw away her work and threw away her portfolio and um, was feeling discouraged. Can you tell us some more about the story about what happened and uh, uh, who else lived in the building with yeah. you at the time? And well, I, uh, <clears throat> I lived in a small apartment and uh, there was an incinerator in the, in the hall. You all know what it, that is. And it's a chute where you dispose of your trash and it goes down and uh, can you hear me all right? Um, and, yeah, just talk into it. Like. And, and it was burned. Just. So um, it, my stuff wouldn't fit down the chute. So people would put their newspapers on the floor of this little room where the incinerator was. And so I just put my collection, four years of high school artwork, on top of everybody's newspapers. And um, the next morning, there was a, rock, a knock on my door. And it was the janitor who had discovered um, this treasure, I guess he thought. And uh, so he took it upstairs to um, an artist named Rafael de Soto, um, who was doing covers for pulp magazines. And uh, the next day, the janitor knocked on my door and said that, uh, told me what he had done with my uh, discarded artwork. And he said, this artist thinks you have talent and he would like to meet you. So how, how long was, did it take you to get up to his apartment when, when they brought you that information? Oh, I just dashed right up there. That was, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was one talent I had. If I saw an opportunity, I, I would move on it. And, uh, so um, I was enthralled to see his studio. And it was one room of his apartment. <clears throat> and um, it, the walls were covered with things like knives that had curls to them and twists and, and gun belts and sombreros and stuff like that. And um, Who opened the door for you when you got there? Oh, 
when I, I knocked on the door and, and it was kind of dark inside and this character with this hat over his face opened the door kind of just a crack and it was a little frightening but I was on a mission so I, I just um, introduced myself and it turned out it was, it was a model that uh, uh, Ralph DeSoto was using. Bill Magner. Bill Magner, if that name rings a bell. He posed for a lot of the uh, artists that worked for the slick magazines as opposed to the pulp magazines. Bill the Ghoul, they called him. <laughs> really? No. no. Well, it, it would fit, it would fit. Um, so um, so that, that was my introduction and um, so I got to know um, the DeSotos and they were very, the kind of people that had a lot of parties, they had a lot of friends and my mother and I were invited to one of those parties and um, so uh, Ralph not only got me started in, uh, in doing magazine covers, but he also introduced me to the man I finally married, who was at one of these parties. So there's a lot of coincidences so, all ganged up together. In this. That's right. But so, he said, you know, you're a great artist and you should be my, you have talent and you shouldn't be discouraged. That's right, absolutely. So that's how I got started. And what he did was he got me a black and white illustration to do for one of the pulp magazines. And um, I did it, and I, I snuck out of the insurance company building. I wasn't supposed to leave the building, but I did, and I delivered the, the painting, uh, the drawing, rather. And the editor left me alone in her office while she showed it to the art director. And when she came back, she said, his name was Alex Portugal, and she came back and she said, well, Alex said we've had worse. So with that, I was elated because the implication was that they were going to take it anyway. But think about it, because that, that is the pulp in its bare essence, you know, is like the, an editor looking at people walking in off the street saying, you know, I, I think I've seen worse, you know, we, let's go with it, you know. That, that's part of the freewheeling spirit of, of pulp magazines, you know. So um, that's how I got started. So I quit my job at the insurance company and, and nothing happened. And one week, two weeks, three weeks went by and finally I did get another assignment. And uh, that's how I, I got into the Pulps. These, so, these jobs are paying her like four or five, six dollars a piece. So seven, if you have to wait two seven, weeks. Seven, I was you know. in the big time. <laughs> <laughs> so here's yeah. some up here. So, Oh my goodness, this, there, there they are. Yeah. <laughs> so this is starting, um, she graduated when she was 16 from high school, so she was started working uh, a year later when she was 17 years old. So uh, at that time it was um, uh, 1940, 19, and the, the draft actually began in 1940, although we didn't go to war until basically 42. And so there was a, a, a wide, industry-wide depletion um, from mobilization of uh, many uh, able-bodied people, so opportunities showed up for Rosie the Riveter. And so uh, she was able to uh, eventually become a reliable uh, uh, wheel at the uh, popular publications. Mm -hmm. And so many of these early drawings also are uh, World War II themes as well as uh, romance stuff. 
Oh, they've got several of them up there. Yeah. Oh, they're moving right along. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, we got, we got other, you know. So um, how long was it before you were um, able to, to, like at first they pigeonholed you as just doing romance interiors, but when did the, you get to do interiors for other types of magazines? And yes, I, I did. Well, I did mostly rangeland romances. Um, I mean, for interiors. And love story and the interiors, yeah. yeah. So then I decided I would try to do a cover. And so I did a cowboy and his girlfriend. And uh, they were, uh, they had a daisy and they were pulling the petals off. You know, he loves me, she loves me, she loves me not or whatever. And I had birch trees in the background. and. I brought it in and the art director said he didn't think that birch trees grew out west. <laughs> I was a city girl and I, what did I know? How did you get out of that one? <laughs> so I uh, took the cover back and I painted out the birch trees and painted in some western mountains and sold my first cover. <laughs> and uh, so then I went you can, on You can see there. the mountains in the background there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So these are 1943. She's um, doing a uh, full-fledged uh, cover artist at popular publications. And in, uh, in January 43, uh, they went on a skiing vacation that is um, recorded in this family photograph. And you can see Ralph DeSoto and his wife Frances, who was a model in a lot of his stuff, and Gloria and her mother and a friend and the the gentleman that she met at the DeSoto's party, Fred Carn. He's there behind the ski, yeah, I think. Yeah, I have little names on them all. <laughs> <laughs> so they were on oh, a skiing trip. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. You know, and, I, and then I she called, did this, this, this painting afterwards. <laughs> I call David the male par, uh, part of Nancy Drew. If you're familiar with Girl Detective, <laughs> David is, uh, is, uh, is like that. He digs up information that you didn't even know about yourself or you've forgotten. <laughs> I blackmail people, and and then suddenly there's these shocking covers that are just so amazing when you know her um, that you can then see that there's a cheerful quality in these. <laughs> so here's like a. How did you happen? Did you started working for Al North Norton? Um, Al Norton, yeah, and uh, Peggy Graves and uh, Jane Littell. Can you hear? Uh, Speak yeah. into the mic. Oh, sorry. Sorry. So Al, so then you started working instead of Jane Littell at the Romance. You started working with Alden Alden Norton. And Nor Harry Widmer for Rangeland Romances. Yeah. And and how did you come up with these gruesome? Uh, well, that's what amazed me because. Um, I finally concluded that I must have had a shadow side, and uh, I guess I, I guess maybe everybody does. I don't know if you you know think about. Raise your hand if you have a shadow side that you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, somehow uh, the uh, the interesting thing was that uh, the artist had to come up with the ideas for the covers. The covers apparently had nothing to do with the stories inside the magazine. <laughs> and so uh, you just had to keep thinking of ideas. And um, Harry Steger was the, um, uh, the head of, the, of popular publications. And I would present him with about three sketches. And he would choose one out of the three. 
and then I'd wait a few months and I'd resubmit the two that he didn't accept that time. And, and, um, so that's well, how Did it you went. get Bill Magner to pose for you, or the janitor pose I for you? I did sometime get, not the janitor, but occasionally Bill Magner, when I did, like if somebody was hitting somebody over the head with a chair or something like that. <laughs> I remember Bill Magner could actually hold a chair over his head for a considerable amount of time, long enough for you to get a good sketch of him. Yeah, so you didn't photograph a, them, you would just sketch the live model? I would sketch them, yeah. <laughs> I think that's Bill Magner in that one. <laughs> and then the thing about living in New York City, the New York Library at, uh, I think it was 42nd Street and Fifth Avenue, had a room they called the morgue, and, and it had boxes and boxes of photos. Um, and no matter what you wanted, they would, they would have it. And I remember one time I was looking for, um, uh, a kneeling llama, the animal, <laughs> and um, uh, somehow or other I had to request that. They had to find it for me, and the person came out with a big smile on her face, and what it was was uh, one of those religious men, you the know, Dalai what they call the Dalai Lama. <laughs> Just the wrong, wrong, uh, Wrong llama. You couldn't couldn't fit him into the cover somehow. Just <laughs> never did, but maybe someday. Do you remember doing this one with these? Uh, oh my goodness, yes, I do. Tell him, tell him something about it. Um. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. What can I tell she's you? She's trying about? to spell out the name of her. Uh, uh, yeah, this, yeah. She spelled out the name. She started to spell out John somebody <laughs> with, with her with her pearl before she met her demise, she was able to take those little pearls and write, write his name. <laughs> but the police weren't smart enough. They kicked the rug when they walked right in. <laughs> the snake. Oh. oh, the snake woman. Oh my goodness. And you know, to this day, I keep wondering, where did these ideas come from? Because. We artists had to present all these ideas, and and, um, and it was so nice to be able to do the love stories and then do these weird things. I mean, it was <laughs> We're actually looking at these chronologically, so it goes back and forth from cheerful to gruesome yeah. in her life as she's yeah. inventing these. But didn't you say that you, um, that the, the um, editors would try to help you cook up ideas sometimes? Yes, and particularly, I remember Harry Widmer, he was the editor of, um, Rangeland Romances, and I really, just really enjoyed talking with that man because we would just chat about this, that, and the other, and next thing you know, an idea would surface, and I would always leave his office with an idea. It was, it was so nice. Um, yeah. This is uh, one time she's working for, um, uh, uh, what's it called, Brand X, and instead of working for a popular publication, she did this one thrilling cover. And it has a GS in the bottom there, right by the hand. But um, normally that? she'd never signed any of her work at all. So it's funny that, that in order to disguise her identity, she signed one, you know. For the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we didn't sign those covers back, back in the day. So um, 
did, did you think your work progressed over those seven years that you worked in the pulps from when you were 18 years old till you were uh, 25? I hope so, yeah. <laughs> Particularly the drawings. I could notice it more in the drawings, I think. <clears throat> I think that's a pretty adorable dog. <laughs> it's so <laughs> cute. <laughs> Here's a great photograph of her, 1945, in her studio. Yes. She's walled off an area of her bedroom yeah, with a at her screen. mom's apartment <laughs> in Queens. Uh, up until this time, she was sharing a studio with DeSoto and working halftime, like kind of at the very beginning, kind of as a studio assistant, but then just sharing his space and um, having a separate studio there next to him when he worked. But then she. Um, got her own studio, which was half of her bedroom at her apartment at home. Those were our mailboxes down at the bottom of the first floor of the apartment. Yeah. They still have a few of them in the city. Yeah, you know? Do they? <laughs> and they were made of brass, and they did. They, you could buy them open like that. It was quite easy. We saw this one in the auction uh, later tonight. And that one. I like this one. Yeah. Black mask. Isn't it amazing that it's the same person did this and this, you know? Yeah. <laughs> my light side and my shadow side. <laughs> this one has a little signature on the, uh, on the bench. It's like a carving. I think it says GS, I can't remember. Is that is that yeah. why I have it? I snuck it in. I got <laughs> snuck it in there. <laughs> you can see the influence of Ralph DeSoto, and um, like in this one, I think, with the especially like that particular jacket, like um, the, the the models always wearing this pinstripe uh, gray pinstripe yeah. jacket, and a lot of DeSoto's things, and you can really see his you know acting as her um, graduate level teacher um, and he spent the rest of his whole life teaching and in fact Gloria also spent a lot of her uh, years teaching also but um, uh, so he was actually a good teacher and he loved teaching he was a very very generous man with his time um, but um, she also at this time was able to make enough money from the, um, the stuff she was earning that um, she started taking uh, other professional classes at the Art Students League and the uh, Society of Illustrators. And she uh, studied with Harvey Dunn, who is the mm -hmm. absolute top of the whole uh, heap in terms of uh, in New York City, who was teaching illustration art at the time. And then she uh, studied with uh, Elliot O'Hare, also is a very famous watercolor. watercolorist, probably the most famous watercolorist uh, probably for the second half of the century. So she's finishing up her uh, graduate level work and has kind of outgrown DeSoto in a way and um, is, is producing uh, other work at the same time that she's doing this and getting into abstract art and having exhibitions of her work also. And um, it was all because of the pulps that she was able to get the, um, the time to learn these skills, but also the money to uh, further her own education and, and um, fulfill her potential as an artist, you know.
So she worked with uh, Alec Portugal, at the, um, who is the art director at uh, Popular most of the time. And, and so she, she, she overlapped with a lot of different great um, editors and stuff also. Sorry. You can see by the end of her work that it's um, become much better than the, uh, the, the, the stiff early drawings you were talking about yeah. when you first started. And the, the, it was really a 17-year-old schoolgirl. And um, this is an original that was used when an agent picked up her work. And, and um, she was uh, selling stuff through the, the fiction sections of uh, magazines. Um, and these are some of her very last uh, pulps. And they're much more complicated and well composed and interesting colors. And David, wasn't she the only artist? Weren't she the only artist to do both gory mystery and dreamy love? The only artist to do dream well, Baumhofer was pretty darn good at both of those. Um, uh, but at popular itself, like working at popular doing popular love, I don't know, maybe. DeSoto had a funny thing that he told her that uh, she was the only woman working in the pulps at all. And but I think I, there never was understood. a woman earlier. Yeah, there was a woman I've never understood that. before me, I think. Yeah. yeah. But There's when a, I was working, I was, as far as I know, I was the only woman. But there were, at, at, Ace, at, at Popular, there were other women doing interior art also. But uh, we'll have questions in a minute, though. I thought this is like a self-portrait. I've never asked you about that, but. Oh, really? Doesn't that, mm. you think that? She's kind of cute. No, I don't, I don't think that fits me. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I think, her last um, pulp cover. Maybe there's one more, I don't know, whoops. And um, so yeah, good yeah. old Fred Karn that uh, um, it was a um, oil and coal, um, chemist teaching and working for an oil company in Pittsburgh and then teaching uh, in Pittsburgh um, married her and uh, and took her and together they built this dream house that they designed together and she left New York and moved here um, to have uh, some beautiful family uh, several of whom are present tonight and here's the their wedding uh, uh, what is that it's your wedding announcement. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so these are the forlorn viewers of uh, romance pulps looking for her work. Uh, but the, that's uh, supposedly a photograph. Uh, I mean, it is a photograph of the popular publications offices showing um, you know, all the different pulps that they were putting out. And this is one of her, her first successful uh, sort of uh, modernist things. It's an etching of a newsstand. I just thought it was funny that it's uh, such a similar <laughs> situation. And um, it won uh, awards and was included in an exhibition at the museum, the Brooklyn Museum. And, um, and here's a picture of her working with Elliot O'Hara, the famous watercolors. And this is uh, artwork. <laughs> my daughter's sitting right there in the audience now. I don't now. know if, if baby Vera <laughs> wants to stand up or not. I don't Come know. Come on, Vera. <laughs> There's Baby Vera again. 
And so uh, here she is in Pittsburgh with her career as a, um, an artist uh, moving on. And uh, the way it worked a lot of the times, by 1953, the industry really generally, uh, you know, was, let's say, changed dramatically or collapsed, however you want to look at it. But they, they largely lost touch with each other and, uh, and moved on. And everyone was just sending Christmas cards to each other for, for a while. <laughs> So this is one of her great paintings. It's called Jacob's Ladder. I did it as a, a ladder of light because I figured angels didn't need rungs. <laughs> <laughs> and um, this is just uh, an article that came out in a show that she had. Um, I think it's 1962. And um, it shows some of her uh, abstract paintings in there too. So it's interesting. And this was uh, illustrations that she did in uh, 53 for um, uh, The Joy of Dance, which is still in publication. These are her illustrations for that. So she was still having fun, I guess, earning extra money. This is Improving Your Language from 1956. <laughs> and so she did these illustrations also. David, I particularly where, like this one. How did you find all this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> Really she wouldn't pay the amount I told her to. If she would have paid it, I wouldn't show these right now. But. Oh my goodness. I like this, the two-headed dog. Don't mess up your sentences. <laughs> and here she is with her work in 64. This is beautiful, Hope Rising. Um, Dancing in the Dark, which is really remarkable. And you can see figures of like, uh, maybe like a slip or something going back and forth. Here she's incorporating her uh, grandchildren or, ch or a child in the actual painting of Wonderland. I... It just shows a cute little girl. <laughs> you can see a girl's face, can you see it? Yeah. <clears throat> and this is The Gift, is one of my favorite paintings that she did, like the, the Magi. And then she was rediscovered by all of us, and, uh, and uh, what's it feel like to be rediscovered by, <laughs> by... I don't even remember that one. This is 1983, and, uh, was it, uh, and every now and then, uh, you know, they say, well, she did Pulps and she did... Uh, abstract paintings. But anyway, that's the end of our slide pictures. And um, I hope I haven't uh, taken up too much uh, time. But no, this is wonderful. It was kind of educational for me because they <laughs> 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 dug up stuff that I'd forgotten about for years and years. As I say, he's Nancy Drew's counterpart, <laughs> male counterpart. It's very weird because in America, um, uh, lots of artists, no matter how famous they are, as like a Picasso type thing. Even Picasso bristled so much at uh, being um, uh, that only people would buy my blue period stuff. They just don't like my Cubist stuff. He really, truly said that. And so it, it's it's not unique to uh, America or to just pulp art that an artist is looked at in different ways by different audiences or something. So it, I don't know how at, at, at 93 and a half you, um, you, uh, you're, you're an art teacher, you're an abstract artist, mm -hmm. and you're an ex-pulp artist at the same time. Mm 
Many faces. <laughs> <laughs> What's it feel like when you saw the uh, article in the newspaper yesterday? Uh, <clears throat> um, well, it was, it was a nice feeling. It, it was very nice. And, and um, the uh, young lady that came out to photograph me was just a, a lovely person. And then I had a phone interview with Mary Thomas, uh, the, the journalist. And it was a, just a good all-around experience. And, uh, and I, I keep thinking at, at 93 that stuff is still going on, and, and it's, uh, uh, it's a good, that's a good feeling. Did yeah. you expect to wake up and look in the paper and find color reproductions of your uh, paintings from 1948? <laughs> I mean, isn't that kind of strange that one day you wake up and this I know, is <laughs> that's it. I mean, I, I, I don't know how... Um, uh, people in um, journalism, they have their ways of doing things somehow or other. <laughs> and, uh, like you, David, you, you dug up stuff that I had forgotten about for years. One of the things I have to keep pinching myself is that she knew so many people that, that I mean, you ran into or, or, or rubbed elbows with so many people, especially at popular publications, um, that it's it's, you just think, well, gee, what should I be asking her, you know, um, to find out about? So anyway, if there's any questions, uh, please ask. <laughs> Ed? Uh, Popular had that unique style on their crime and mystery pulps of having a kind of a vignette against a black background with a yellow logo. Did you find that very restrictive to work in that kind of situation with that limited color scheme? Um, I did in the sense that they would frequently complain that I didn't leave them enough space to put all the, uh, the um, titles and, and authors and information that they wanted to get on there. But um, uh, the whole idea was to try to outscream every other magazine that was on the newsstand. I mean, you had to use your basic primary colors and, and so that they would just shout at you. Did you ever have a particular uh, editor that made you feel more liberty in terms of uh, how you use the space or something? Like as if there were a restricted feeling with uh... No, I can't say that I did. I, I think I had a very good relationship with Peggy Graves, who did the love story, with Jane Littell, who, who uh, also uh, had one of the love magazines, and Al Norton, um, and um, uh, Widmer. Uh, yeah, Harry, Harry Widmer, yeah. yeah. And, uh, uh, Did you ever get to actually meet uh, Steger? Uh, yes, on a couple of occasions, but he kept a pretty low uh, profile. But he was kind of a prankster, and uh, he liked to do like, practical jokes. And one time I went into um, uh, the art director's office, Alex Portugal's office, and I couldn't find my pocketbook, which I had left there. And turns out Harry Steger had hidden it somewhere. <laughs> um, and I thought of him as, you know, the head of the outfit, and I didn't think he would stoop so low as to be <laughs> a practical joker. <laughs> One day he stuck her pigtails in the inkwell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and he had a, uh, a taxidermist put a, an animal head together and it had parts from different animals, the horns and the, it didn't go together. It was just not any animal that you had ever saw in a zoo or um, 
anywhere, so, or in National Geographic. He just had this made up. Yeah. Uh, do you know how many of your original cover paintings survived? Um, I have some of them at home. I don't really know how many. Yeah, well, but so you, um, the the uh, no, actually, uh, the ones I have are mostly love stories, uh, and it did never occurred to me to collect them. Uh, the ones I did collect, um, I just took a razor blade and and sliced them off the stretchers and threw them in a pile because I wanted to reuse the stretchers. I didn't have to keep buying new stretchers. They were all mostly all oil paintings. Yeah, so the stretcher was 79 cents. Yeah. <laughs> and the, she was being paid $18 for the... Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Do you remember when you... Oh, first off, thanks for coming. This is very enlightening. This is, this is a beautiful experience being in your presence. Uh, do you remember with that moment, that aesthetic bang hit you, and you said, I'm going to go you know, with abstract. I mean, you're such a beautiful illustrator. You know, and there was so much going on with Norman Rockwell. You had a Saturday Evening Post. You had Maxfield Parrish. You, you had all these great illustrators that we look to now. And of course, everyone would just you know, love you as an illustrator. So at a time where you know, people were being challenged, by abstract art. What made you, you know, all of a sudden say, I'm going to take this rebellious step. I'm going to step away from what is expected of me and do something, you know, so rogue, you know, in the art world. Hmm. Um, that's a, uh, something, give me something to think about there. Um, I don't know, I just had this desire. I used to love to go to, uh, you know, the galleries and see what was doing, what was going on. Uh, people like Ben Sean really influenced me, and um, trying to think who else, uh, Gottlieb, but I, I, I just was kind of pulled in that direction, and I just wanted to, you know, tr see what I could do, and I, I found it kind of a challenge to, to do something that was not so representational. Many other artists, uh in fact, I think most artists um, were exploring and experimenting with abstract art at the same time that they were illustrators, even Rockwell and my father and, and stuff. Um, but also, you were in art schools with other, other young artists all during those years, and that must have been a, a pretty fertile yeah. group of people. That but actually, when I went to the Art Students League, it was more for... Um, uh, anatomy. Mm -hmm. uh, Robert Beverly Hale was my teacher and he was absolutely amazing what he knew about the human body, you know, from the bones and then the muscles and the skin and then the clothed figure. And, um, and then also I took courses in uh, printmaking, etching mm -hmm. and um, uh, uh, the one you do on a stone, um, lithography. Lithograph, yeah. lithography yeah. Uh, what did your husband think of your stunning detective magazine cover? Oh, <laughs> he was always very supportive, very supportive, yeah, and uh, which I appreciated. My husband was a chemist, yeah, 
and um, he, he didn't really know much about art, tell you the truth. So some of the mad scientists, perhaps? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so if I heard correctly, you studied with uh, Harvey Dunn. Harvey Dunn, yes. He had a, a, a private class, and I can't remember where it was held, but um, I beg she your said, pardon. No, she, she didn't think it was. Did he say Grand Central? Yeah, yeah. well, he taught at uh, Grand Central until 42, and then after 42, he didn't teach there, so. Um. It was in somebody's studio, and I, I just just can't remember. But what, did you, what do you feel you learned from studying? Well, oh. we had models posing for us, and he really got us to see a color and, you know, greens and the shadows and that sort of thing. Um, uh, so it, 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 I, I learned a lot. I was not there for very long. I don't remember how long, but I just felt like he had a lot to to teach. Yeah. You said that he had like about observing things closely and, yes. and seeing more complex stuff. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah, he really made you look, made made you see. Yeah. Um, did you in the in the forties? Did you ever entertain the idea? Never occurred to me, no. But I just stuck with the uh, the pulp magazines. Yeah. Did you ever have your husband do modeling for you? Did Fred model for you? Um, my husband, did you say? Um, maybe you know a couple times, but n not not a whole lot. But he would have made a good model. He was a very handsome man. <laughs> <laughs> I just have to ask one more one thing that the, the janitor that brought the stuff up to her door for this, uh, uh, what's that called? Inter, inter, the incinerator. No, 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 yeah. no. When, when there's like an intervention in your life, like oh, yeah. that, that's <laughs> it. Um, can you describe him? Oh, yes. Uh, actually, he had been an English teacher at one time, so he was an educated man but he had a very craggy face, and I could see why he would be the perfect model for Rafael de Soto to use in, in the kind of covers he was doing for the pulp magazines. And um, so... Um, so he knew all about de Soto because he was modeling in the studio. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And, but uh, along with um, these gruesome uh, janitor and this gruesome Bill Magner and <laughs> this eccentric de Soto, um, Francis de Soto was also the the, um, the hostess, basically, of the whole apartment. She was, and the and the de Sotos were very sociable. And uh, uh, did I mention it was one of their parties that I met my husband? Mm -hmm. And um, so she was a fashion uh, designer. Francis was. Yeah, yeah I didn't for remember like that. For like Bonwit Teller, uh -huh. and um, a really distinguished person, also, and. and so that's probably why she was uh, so at, at ease being on social thing. Well, we're going to wrap it up with one more, and that's it. How, how did that thrilling love get in the deck? Was that a reject from Hopper? You know, that's a good question because um, was that Street and Smith? No, thrilling. Uh, thrilling from, was uh, just thrilling. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's the only one I did for that magazine, and um, the only one I found. 
but I stuck with Popular because they, that was really my home base and they had so many magazines, it was enough to keep me busy, yeah, yeah. I said that was the last question. I think we're getting the, uh, yeah. yeah. All right, thank you all very, very, very much. You've been listening to a Pulp Event Podcast, brought to you by the PulpNet, your link to the online world of the Pulp magazines, for over 20 years. Please visit us online at thepulp.net. Thank you for listening, and keep reading the pulps. The Pulp Event Podcast is copyright 2017.